Hi, Jeff here from the University of Kentucky. Ciao, I'm Kristen from the University of Minnesota. Salut, this is Tina from the University of Colorado. And alam, greetings. This is Stuart from the University of Mississippi. Welcome to Pharmacy Fika. A podcast for pharmacy educators by pharmacy educators. Where we discuss teaching and learning, scholarship, and academic life. In Sweden, uh, a fika is a coffee break, but it's much more than that. It's a state of mind and attitude. It's all about slowing down. And finding time for friends and colleagues. While you sip a beverage and enjoy a little something nice to eat. So join us. Hello and good morning, everybody. It's another FICA episode, number 12, which seems unbelievable to me because we've been doing this for a year and we've covered quite a bit in that year. Today, we have another exciting topic, which I will let Kristen Yonke tell us about when we get there. But of course, we always start every FICA as every good fika should do with some snacks and beverages and just to share with each other about things that have been happening. I will start because I made pumpkin spice muffins last night. And so I'm having a pumpkin spice muffin and some coffee with some caramel pumpkin spice added to it. So it's, it's a pumpkin morning. What can I say? Awesome. Well, I'm having a muffin as well, homemade almond dark chocolate muffin. So yum and some water. Well, I'm having, um, I'm actually dialing in from home this morning because we had some early FIP calls. And by the time we finished, it was snowing. And I'm not, I'm not as stalwart as KJ about the travel in the snow yet. So I have five dark chocolate almonds from TJ's and a lovely presentation and some lovely George Clooney Nespresso. Well, I'm eating lunch with my daughter right after this, so no snack, but I do have my water and I will say it is Kentucky limestone water. Mm. It's actually the same water I always drink, but it has limestone in it. So I thought that sounds a little better than just water. <laughs> it just sounds like a kidney stone waiting to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Well, we do have a special guest today, my wife, Sina Haynes, because of our topic. We'll get to that in a moment. But Sina, since you're our guest, what would you bring for your snack and your beverage? So I am in love with these. I recently discovered this. I'm a big like seltzer water person. Not that I also don't drink plenty of water water, but this bubbler antioxidant sparkling water that boosts and energizes and restores balance. This particular one's like lemon lime twister. It's delicious. I have no stake in the game, but it's delicious. And then this is probably not the best thing to be snacking on. And I probably will reserve only eating one or two for now, but it will be part of my lunch lunch. Quest chips, got to get that protein in. So got my snack and my drink. All right. Well, welcome to Sina and to all of our listeners today. Our topic is happiness and work. I have always loved my job and just been so excited to go in in the morning and do the work. And I know that's not the case for everyone. And that I think as time has gone on, maybe even some people don't feel like happiness and work can go together. Like happiness occurs somewhere else. Work is, work is a job, work is where I earn my living, but happiness is with my family or, or some other place. And I, I, I just find that all very fascinating. And so I wanted to spend some time talking about that. 
So Sina, can since you're our guest today, you have a special affiliation for this topic. What what brings you to this topic? How have you become such an advocate? I I feel like this topic is so important. It's so relevant for us if we think about finding that joy at work because we spend so much of our lives in the workplace and working with others. So it's a little bit about you as an individual and how you approach your work. But then it's also about relationships because we're surrounded with the people we work with or for. And I personally have immersed myself in positive psychology and how we can be feeling good and functioning well, particularly in the workplace. So it's an aspect that I'm very passionate about and want to help coach and support others in perhaps refinding their meaning at work, their meaning in work and in those they're working with. All right. So let's open it up for for everyone here. I spilled the beans at the beginning, my perspective on this, but can happiness and work coexist? And, And under what circumstances might they coexist? Well, for me, KJ, I think, I don't know how to say this in the most positive way, but it's like we, we spend a lot of time on our work, right? And we get a lot of motivation, that autonomy, that mastery, that purpose. And it, to me, it's a shame if we can't find happiness at work. But I also have seen people pr- over the last year or so that I'm just like, Maybe they have to make a decision whether they are going to draw some happiness for work or not. Personally, feel like I I draw a lot of energy from the work that I do, and that contributes to my happiness. Then I want to invest my time into making my workspace special, into making sure that I get the relationships that I need to again bring that energy in. Clearly, work is a substantially important part of our lives. And if it's not bringing happiness to us, then I worry that your life is not as fulfilling as it could be. And who are those who are typically not happy or feeling some level of fulfillment from their work? Well, people who are burnt out, people who are feeling, particularly in the health professional field, compassion fatigue, they're just put so much energy into it and now they're to the point where they're distancing themselves from it because they cannot extend that compassion anymore. Or people who pick the wrong field, the wrong type of work, or perhaps they're working for the wrong employer where their employer is not allowing them much autonomy and we need to have that not allowing them to grow professionally, so they're not feeling that mastery. And they feel the employer is someone who really has no function or purpose in the world other than to sell something that people don't need. And so they don't feel there's any purpose to the work either. And I think that's a certain portion of people out there in the workforce. Hopefully it's not people in pharmacy because Obviously, I think pharmacy has a purpose, right? I mean, we do good work, but I I do understand there's going to be some pharmacists out there that feel their employer is not granting them much autonomy or that you don't have much room for growth. But I love my job, just like you do. Kristen, I, I can't imagine doing anything else. It's been very fulfilling for me. I hear us calling out without saying specifically autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And I think we're drawing on Dan Pink's work, Drive. I believe the subtitle is The Surprising Truth About What Motivates Us or something like that. So maybe we'll link that up in the the show notes. I was going to say, I think for me, similar to what I've been hearing, but I would just maybe reiterate 
that if I'm using my character strengths, my core values, the things that I value in life, in action, that values in action, character strengths, then I believe I can easily find that cohabitation of happiness and joy in work because I'm using that as part of my work. So I love helping people sort of discover what that is. And I think through before COVID, after COVID, this kind of languishing that a lot of people are still having some struggle, which is completely normal, with our our zeal and our zest. And so refinding and rekindling what what you enjoy and how you can use your natural gifts, the things that are effortless and energizing to you in the workplace, I think can really like leverage more happiness for us. So I've had a very varied, diverse background, probably more so than most people in pharmacy education. I mean, I've been in textiles manufacturing, technology support, uh, had a landscaping business, and then I did uh, educational consulting until I finally landed into the role I am today. And I look back across those different jobs, and there were some that I loved and some that I hated. And I kind of think back to those jobs that I did not like at all. I don't think I could have found happiness in those jobs because as Stuart mentioned, it was the wrong employer, the wrong job type for me. And I wasn't going to fit that. There wasn't things that I could make fit. I could withstand it for a while, but fortunately I had opportunities to get out and move on and do, and do different things. So I am in today in a row that It took me 30 years of my working life to find, I think, the job that fits me, my personality, my strengths, my values, all of that that Sina mentioned. As an educator, I love helping students steer toward what is the best fit for them. And I think they see themselves coming into pharmacy, but what does that mean? Or I see myself coming into a particular setting, I'm going to work in a hospital, but what does that mean? And what are the tasks? What are the functions what are the, the situations that I'm going to find myself in that really draw on my talents? And I think that's what you're saying, Jeff, is finding that fit is so critical. And there's so many ways to, to create that fit. And, and KJ, that, I, that's exactly what I was thinking about, both finding, because it may be out there to find, but in some cases it's creating, right? And, and that might be a slightly harder pathway, creating because there's a lot of advocacy associated with that. But but I think it's also quite rewarding. And it was like, when you hear people talk about something that they're passionate about, it's absolutely inspiring, even if it's not your field, right? I love hearing Jeff talk about all the amazing physical stuff he does, even though it is so far from my comfort zone. But, you know, but, but that, you know, that passion, but I suspect over that 30 years to find his space, it was a bit of also creating what that that space looks like. Yes. So Cal Newport talks about this in some of his books, which is he, he dislikes the advice to follow your passion. Because one, many of us don't know what our passions are until we've done something for a while and then we become passionate about it. So in the act of doing it, we find that we're good at it and then we eventually become passionate about it. And also, there's probably lots of different things that we can be good at and feel passionate about. So it isn't like there is a passion, a path 
but it's, it is a mix of ingredients. I think there's lots of different jobs I could be satisfied in. I'm certain of that. I could use my talents where I'd get enough autonomy and where I could feel the growth and being in that position. And there are plenty of positions, and this may be true for some people in academia right now, or me working in a different institution where there's not a good fit between what I enjoy and what I like, where I wouldn't feel fulfilled by that work. And it's just a matter of person, job, and institutional fit. So I think it does take some trial and error. People who think they're going to find the perfect job right out of the gate from graduation, I think is unrealistic. Some of us get lucky, but most of us, it takes us some time. And that's okay. And that's perfectly okay. You should keep looking if you're not feeling that it's fulfilling to you. And when you do find something fulfilling, then by all means, work at it. (laughs) I think having some insight into our talents and what it is that we find ourselves drawn to is so important. And and I wish I would have learned that earlier. Like I, it was all trial and error for me. Like, do I like this? Oh, I don't like this so much. You know, now I feel like my kids, I've had them take the strengths finder as soon as they're old enough. And, and they, they're like, yeah, that's me. That's, you know, those are the things I gravitate towards. And, and I feel like the kids nowadays have a leg up. We just have such a stronger appreciation for the role of talents and the role of fit to, to jobs than we did in the past. I wanted to direct a, a question to to Sina, happiness. I know you've you've done a lot of reading and thinking in this in this space, and you mentioned positive psychology. What what can you tell us about how happiness occurs? Well, I think that there's different aspects of happiness. We can have hedonic types of happiness and eudaimonic happiness, and I think hedonic happiness can be somewhat temporal but still enjoyable. I often think about a trip that I've taken or a great meal with friends that I will savor, you know, that happiness in the moment. Certainly we have a bit of a honeymoon with other aspects of happiness when we experience them. They may not be as long lasting. Mm. And then there's the eudaimonic happiness, which is more about meaning or what might drive me towards aspects of purpose and also thinking about what would drive me towards accomplishments when I think about self and the person that I want to be, how I want to show up at work, how I want to nurture and help others, bringing more genuine, authentic self, right? Not this idealistic or having fake positivity, but authentic in showing up and being present in supporting others and also with a lens of self-compassion because we all struggle. Mm. You know, happiness is not every day. There are struggle bus experiences that we all have, but I think it's about how we can, despite struggles, functioning well and feeling well and, and coming from struggle, learning and growing from struggle. I think that's what leads us to more of that eudaimonic happiness. And I'm glad you brought up hedonic happiness because the in-the-moment pleasures tend to be more fleeting, and we we adapt to them pretty readily. So in other words, if you love going out for a meal, that can be very enjoyable. But if you go out to, to a meal every night, every day of the week, mm-hmm. after a couple of weeks, it's no longer enjoyable. There's nothing special about it anymore. And so we adapt. That's why getting the new car, we love it when we first get it. But within two weeks, it's ho-hum. We love the idea of getting a big raise. But after a couple of weeks, it's ho-hum. We adapt to those kind of hedonic pleasures 
that over time, we just forget how what it was like and we just adapt to it. That's why really wealthy people still want more money. That's why we can't have enough of those material possessions or even experiences if we constantly are having the same experience is no longer pleasurable to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so eudaimonic happiness is lasting happiness, I think. And that's what we should be chasing more than the hedonic kind of stuff. So how do we foster that happiness in our work? What ideas do you guys have? So I personally think it comes down to a few things. So you're probably very familiar. I'm a big supporter of PERMA, the the pillars or factors that can influence our well-being when I think about thriving. Again, despite struggles that we have, feeling well, thinking well, doing well, and those pillars look at positive emotions, our engagement, so developing our strengths, our relationships, authentic, energizing connections with people, meaning so that, again, thinking that you're contributing to a greater purpose, which leads us to act. I think it's about accomplishments and our belief that we have the ability to do things, like the belief that we have the ability to do hard things, because we all do. And then I might be adding the H when I think about health. So I would say eating well, moving regularly, sleeping, love sleeping, and and just rest and recovery. Because I have found, I think Stuart would agree, because we're similar in this respect, we do a lot of doing. You know, we're always doing, 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 but the being part can be harder for me, which is why I try and practice mindfulness activities and those experiences to allow me to be still because I could easily wake up as I do early, maybe not as early as Jeff, but early and I'm at it until the evening hours. So I think that's one important aspect that I always draw from the well of, of what can make an impact to make a difference. Sina, I love that PERMA model and we definitely need to put some links in the show notes about that. I feel like you may need all aspects of that, but some of the letters may be more meaningful to us as individuals. And for me, mm-hmm. relationships is huge. And I know that I'm at a point now where I can drive joy from many of my mentors are being honored in a special way or have gone into, I recently heard that someone I consider a mentor was named provost at a, another university, which is just fantastic. And then on the other side, I'm starting to see my mentees rise. You know, somebody who was recently got a big grant, somebody who was named a highly cited researcher, someone who's been named a dean of a program of global and population health. So it's not that I, I don't want to make it sound like I take credit for those things, but I'm sort of seeing through those relationships, good things happen, which also gives me a lot of energy, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Jeff, you've been quiet. (laughs) I'm curious about recovery experiences for you, because I know that you have a very avid outside of work life. And I think we all need that, right? We can't... One of the things that can happen to people is that so much of their life is tied to one domain of their life, and work is a big one, but when everything is tied to one domain of your life and there's something that goes wrong there or some misery comes or some struggle, that becomes really Mm -hmm. problematic because you have no other domains from which you're deriving pleasure. And so I know that Jeff has other domains of his life that are really important, and so I'm, I'm morning if you're willing to share and talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so I'm actually glad you asked me a question and I could answer. 
because talking about this topic with Cena feel entirely inadequate. But this one I can I can answer. In both of these, I was actually thinking before you even said it is that identity aspect of who you are as a person. And like you said, some people get it, you know, from one aspect, they're a parent or their their job or their athletic adventure. And when that ends or when things go awry, then it leads to a lot of anguish and, and depression. Fortunately, I think I've got split identities. So there's usually one that's always going good. There might be one or two that's going bad, but usually all are going going well. The part about rest is something I've become increasingly more supportive of and aware of in the past three to four years. So particularly from the athletic side, yes, the rest used to be very difficult for me because I saw it as this is a day that I'm not gaining ground, the days that are break. But that's a completely the wrong way to look at it, of looking at rest as this is another element that helps me get better. So without the rest, your other days aren't as good. From that athletic standpoint, there is even a small movement that's really popularized by one of my friends who's in the endurance world. It's called Rest Day Brags. Because you see so much on social media, today I ran 20 miles, or today I dashed my PR. The rest day brags are, today I got up at 10 o'clock and I ate ice cream for breakfast. So it is normalizing that people need that off time to re-energize themselves. And so that has become an increasingly bigger part of my I guess my life routine, not just the athletic side, but from the work side as well, of taking that time away and not be thinking about work and athletic stuff. And I think that's why one of the reasons we've talked about technology and how it is potentially harmful is because it tethers us to work so much and then we don't get that time away, that recovery time. And so I think those are one of the dangers of really being into work and then always being available to the work is that you don't get those recovery experiences at rest, which really is important to be really effective at your job too, right? So you need time away from it. And uh, we're not very good as a culture in the U.S. of doing that. No. I think some of the analogies to physical challenge really do approach us in work right now. I think we're we're in for some phases where it's going to be some hard work to improve the system, which makes it feel okay to take a rest day brag. I don't feel like when I was coming up through this system, no one was really telling me you have to be on 24-7. Some of it was my own insecurity. Some of it was not feeling good enough, but I thought, I may not be the smartest person in the room, but I can be the hardest working person in the room. Right. That is within my control. So what we're trying to do, I think, now is talk about how do we shift the system so that it is understood that that rest day brag is part of growth, is part of saving enough that you aren't exhausted, demoralized, unhappy um, in your workspace as well as in your personal space. One of the things that Sina and I have talked about in terms of joy at work is that sometimes it's, it's a challenge within a profession that's contracting 
to feel that joy because the future can look kind of bleak. And industries that have gone through this is like journalism, for example. In the late 90s, a lot of contraction of newspapers and everything was going online and, and what's available online is very clickbaity and is not fulfilling work to a journalist. But that's where the jobs were kind of going and a lot of it was automated and there was a lot of contraction in the industry. And I think there's a little bit of that going on right now in pharmacy. As we know, there's contraction in some spheres of pharmacy practice, and that's leading to some job loss, a lot of pressure to produce, you know, a lot more widgets per hour. So we're seeing productivity measures and metrics, and that can make people profession-wide feel kind of bleak about what's happening because there's contraction. We're experiencing because a lot fewer people are wanting to go to pharmacy school because they see it as not a bright future. For us in academia, it kind of feels like our graduates are not getting as many jobs in fields that feel optimistic and growing and getting to use their talents. And so how do you get past that? To Tina's point earlier, there's some challenging times ahead. Hopefully, <laughs> we'll find, and I believe we will because we got a lot of talented people, a way through this and it'll be better future. I'm optimistic that it's going to be a better future. Mm -hmm. But if you lose that optimism, it can be really a grind. Yeah, I think the disruption can lead to other innovation, you know, that creativity and you, you creating positions that didn't exist or finding unique ways to approach work, using that as the opportunity before us. For me, this is, this is resonating in so many ways. When I think about how happiness is measured, one of the models is to look at how I see my life now and how I see my life in five years. And I think we've been kind of dancing around this concept of hope. And, and do I have this outlook that believes I can influence things, that I have agency, that I see possibilities, I see pathways, I see a way forward into a positive future. And that's something I worry about for, for like our students. Um, if they come in in the midst of, you know, headlines that are doom and gloom about, about the profession, how is it that we build hope so they can enjoy their current and not live in, in constant fear of the future so they can enjoy their present, but also, you know, work towards and, and believe they can create a positive future. Absolutely. So that's really interesting, Kristen, because in some ways, maybe all of the talk that that gets a lot of play nationally or via social media is is cueing that pharmacy is a bad profession because people are you're burnt out a lot. So it, there is a cueing effect so that maybe some of the graduates that go in are already expecting things to be bad versus going into the job and being thrilled and happy like they're starting their career and going to get to do things. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I think positivity and optimism not not blind positivity, like just to be positive. And the same thing, just to be an optimist, to always be rosy glasses on. I don't think that's helpful either because that's naive. But I think to, to take on a mantra of saying the future can be better than what it is now if I'm willing to look for opportunities, if I'm willing to take action, I think that I have the capability of creating a better, brighter future for myself. And there will be 
obstacles in the way. There will be stumbles and there will be struggles. But I still believe that the outcome can be positive. And as long as we have that as an internal attitude in our heads, as a mindset, then almost anything is possible. Maybe not easy and maybe not as fast as we'd like it to be because it's never been as fast as I'd like to be. The amount of progress I've seen in pharmacy practice in my lifetime has been very significant, but it's not been at the pace that I wished it would have been. I mean, really. But if I look back over 35 years that I've been in the profession, it's an amazing amount of change, an amazing amount of change. And that gets me energized. Like, it's possible. We're making a difference. It's changing just not as fast as I'd hoped it would be. I would just add that I come back to some of those well-being nutrients when we think about let's not focus on burnout. We need to focus more on vitality, where we can thrive and what contributes. That's the nutrients for thriving. So my mind goes to much of what we already said earlier, that empowering others to pursue positions and developing their skills and meeting a challenge, empowering them to feel more competent or finding that sense of mastery, having independence to do what they're hired to do, to resource them to meet the challenge and skill of the position. And I also think about physical safety um, and psychological safety, which I know we haven't necessarily mentioned directly, but I think that's also pretty huge because when things are not going well or we do have struggle or we see something that we want to catalyze some change towards and contribute to that, you know, you have to feel that you have that ability to share that information, even though it may not be received well and know that it's a safe space and you have support. So we're almost at the end of our episode today, but I think we ought to end on a really positive note and perhaps share with our audience some things that give us a little happiness boost. And I'll share that one of the things I really like to do is read a lot. And part of the reason why I like to read it is because I read some things which are purely for pleasure. They're, they're fiction. I often read whodunit kind of stuff. And then there's stuff that I read that are building my mastery. And I don't mean pharmacy stuff. I often will read time management and happiness literature and stuff like that. And I feel like it's helping me build my mastery. So reading for me is a fun thing that I do for lots of different reasons. So that is the area that I was actually leaning toward. So reading, finding something new that has really piqued my interest. Usually that is something that relates to something else that has piqued my interest. And reading and thinking and tying concepts together. Those are things that really draw me in. And I have to always be on the lookout for myself to not get sucked into reading all the time because I could sit and read all day long. Jeff, I'm the same about that. I've come across as an extrovert, but I'm an expressive introvert. And I would love nothing more than to 12 hours reading Jag. But I'll add for me, what's bringing in happiness, and I mentioned that watching my mentees really rise and thrive. But two things, yesterday we had a Thanksgiving potluck, which had been a longstanding tradition at CU before the COVID. So this is the first one post-COVID. And just having people come together with food, something special that they made or, or bought, or just have a chat and giving ourselves some space for gratitude, it really filled my cup. 
And I think that idea of getting back together and gathering and getting people in the same space and in a happy space, a place that looks delightful and feels delightful, I think is a step in the right direction of building back what community means. And that's something special for me right now. I think for me, I'll quickly say a couple boosters of my happiness. On the little kindred to Jeff, I would say my CrossFit experiences most mornings does give me the boost. It's more about seeing my own self-improvement. And when I do hit a PR, I have a little bit of a jolt. It's a jolt of joy. I come home and I share it with Stuart, like, oh, I PR today. He gives me that look like, that's great, Sina, that's great. I think the second similar is staying fresh and up to date as much as I can. So that idea of lifelong learning in, in my area of professional passion and fulfillment. And then I think the third is Stuart and I don't really watch too much television. It comes in very small, you know, pockets and it's usually very intentional about what we're going to watch. But the point I want to make is that when we do have couch time together and we get to sit together and, and embrace or hold hands and have a little sappy moment. Um, It's that relationship, and I just love having that time with him. We have talked about so many issues in the happiness sphere today. I personally love the the flow kinds of conversation and the deep work. The reading leads to trying to solve problems and and, uh, grappling with things, and I love that. But I think my big happiness boost is just a pause for, for gratitude. And you know, really thinking about what's going right in the day, what's going right at work, and and being able to appreciate that, and that often brings me a measure of joy. So with that, goodbye, all of our Fika friends for this episode, and we hope to see you in the next. See you in the new year. Bye, guys. See ya. Happy New Year soon. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Fika, a podcast where we enjoy coffee and conversations. If you liked this episode, please pass it along to a colleague and be sure to rate us. You can share your reactions on Twitter at Pharmacy Fika, but please be kind. This is a safe space. Got a question or want to suggest a topic for a future episode? Leave us a voice message at speakpipe.com slash Pharmacy Fika. Bye for now. Namaste. Das Vidanya. Au revoir.